This is Mike Corey from ESPN, and you're listening to the Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. Welcome into the Sports Objective. We knew tonight was going to be a big night, and we were having David Glenn on our show. But uh, what a big day, and obviously there's so much to talk about. I don't even know where to begin. How are you, Kyle Barber? What's going on, Dave? Yeah, big big, uh, big day in Pirate Nation. Uh, nice contract extension for uh, Mike Houston. So uh, glad to see that happen. And uh, a lot of other things to talk about, too. Um, it's a lot, lot going on right now in college athletics and beyond. And Bubba Rosenbaum, uh, when I read this contract, I knew we have a lawyer on the show tonight, so I uh, gave him some of the contract to look at. It is 27 pages. It's like the size of the Williamston phone book now uh, where I live. <laughs> Bubba, how are you, man? Doing well, guys. Um, re- yeah, really looking forward to diving into a number of topics, and one of those being Mike Houston's new deal. Um, he will now be – you know, locked down through 2026, and you know, as you take a look at it, his his pay went from somewhere like 1.4, 1.45 guaranteed to 2.3. Yeah, and uh, I think it's reasonable. And I wanted to bring DG in, uh, David Glenn. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great, Dave. Good to be with you and the guys again. Uh, we wanted to have you on. Obviously, there's so much to talk about. We are going to talk coaching carousel. The um, if, if, uh, I thought about you last week too, about the, the topic of, I hate that David Glenn doesn't have the North Carolina show anymore because the hurricanes are very good right now. You have the Hornets or look like a playoff team. You always used to talk about that. And of course our team is doing very well with East Carolina. There's a number of bowl teams. Uh, there's Duke that needs a football coach. We'll talk about that, but there's so much to talk about. Think about, um, hey, uh, Wake's playing for the ACC football title. Yeah. The yeah, Panthers are not great, but they are interesting, right? right. Uh, App, App State's having a good year in football. Mike Houston just well, had no, a good year at ECU. There is a lot going on, including the coaching carousel, as you said. No doubt. What's your take on uh, for Coach Houston? He gets the contract today. Uh, we can um, talk a little bit about two point, like Bubba said, $2.3 million. Uh, when you look at the average coach uh, DG, it's probably in the three million dollar range. So, with bonuses, uh, that would put him over. I think, guys, if my memory serves me right, it's well over three million. If you hypothetically speaking, if you were to win everything and all the stuff goes down, it would be well over three million. So, I'm really happy with the contract. I'm happy with uh, Chancellor Rogers and obviously John Gilbert being the athletic director and the board of trustees for stepping up and recognizing we have a young talent. And Mike Houston and and uh, I'm sorry for Virginia Tech fans, but uh, we're going to keep Mike Houston. Yeah, I think it's a great day for ECU because the reality is you always want to be in a position where other people want your coach. And nobody wanted Scotty Montgomery. Right. Uh, and nobody wanted, frankly, Mike Houston when he went four and eight or when he went three and six in his second year with the Pirates. But when you show the same trend at ECU that Mike Houston had become famous for, 
at Lenore Rhine and then at the Citadel and then at James Madison, th- uh, two or three years in each of those three places, it was clear improvement, right? Um, I think his third year at James Madison was not as good as his first two, but overall, clear improvement, national top 25 finishes, national top uh, two finishes, top 10 finishes, the national title at JMU at the FCS level. And now you're seven and five at ECU, and clearly the the pendulum is swinging back in the right direction. Of course, other schools are going to inquire. This is a competitive salary, and there's no doubt, guys, just as Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma, in part because the nature of the Oklahoma job changed or is about to change with the Sooners joining the SEC, meaning it's harder to win consistently and harder to get college football playoff invitations. Lincoln Riley goes to the Pac-12 where I don't see any reason he can't build a juggernaut at Southern Cal. There's nobody else to be afraid of. There are other good teams, but nobody to be afraid of. Well, guess what? Mike Houston, moving forward, will have a more manageable – American Athletic Conference in football than the one he arrived to deal with because y'all have seen Cincinnati and the Bearcats are good and Houston's good and those two are leaving the conference soon uh we don't know exactly when but but in the coming years and that means Mike Houston if he's rational and he's a smart guy realizes he has an even better chance to win and keep improving on that win total in future years uh, just as he was able to raise those win totals the last couple of years. Yeah, the one good thing about the uh, the American moving forward, I hate to see Houston leave and uh, and UCF and uh, and Cincinnati um, because of you know the the thing they did a lot for the profile of the conference. But the the TV exposure stays the same. That's not changing for the immediate future through twenty thirty one. And if you were already in the conference, incumbent members keep the same amount of TV revenue, seven million. Uh, new members are going to get less, so we should. It shouldn't affect recruiting. We should be able to 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 hold serve in terms of exposure, and uh, coach uh, coach will, like you said have an easier path. I don't know where Dave went, Bubby. You need to adjust that graphic. Um, I, I it I'm should back. be an easier path. Dave's back. It should be an easier path to uh, to compete for a conference championship, which you know I think very realistically with as young as this football team is. Mike Houston can can be playing for an American Conference Championship within the next two to three years. Oh, no question. I, I, I mean, yeah, I think that's a realistic possibility. And if you have ECU baseball going well, and you have most importantly ECU football going well, and it is a more manageable conference, so maybe in your bad years you're not you know two or three wins. Maybe in your bad years, quote unquote, you're still going to a bowl game. And in your best years, you're competing for that conference title and maybe occasionally breaking through and winning one. That's what rallies a fan base. That's what gets people excited uh, about donating or, or buying season tickets or showing up and filling the seats. And obviously success helps you sustain success because it's easier to recruit to a seven or eight win team than it is a three win team. And it's easier to recruit to a program that's filling the stadium and has a great game day environment every time rather than something less than that. So Mike Houston has done through three years what he was hired to do. The arrow is pointed back in the right direction. Now he just has to keep building upward. Dave, Bubba, and DG, maybe you know. uh, I don't don't know if anybody bothered to check to see uh, where that puts Mike Houston now in terms of current American salaries. Obviously, uh, in terms of not looking at the teams that are coming in, 
but just the teams that are here now. Dana Holgerson has the biggest at Houston. With four um, million. Yeah, four million. So it, it, with Fickle's it's three million. million. Okay, so it, it, those are the two top dogs. So uh, I'm assuming we're, we're pretty competitive. We would have to at least be in the middle, I would think now. I think um, that's I right. And, and if you look forward into the new league, it might be upper middle. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely think so. I mean, and the, another key ingredient, David, I, I I have not heard a specific number on it yet. The the number that probably the most important ingredient to this whole contract uh, or, or or with the assistants got a bump in their assistant pool, but I haven't seen the numbers. I don't know. Have you guys seen the numbers on that? Uh, that's one thing I've been trying to find, and I haven't I seen heard that the, so r- the rumor. The rumor I heard, and this is just a rumor before the contract was signed, it was going to be a $700,000 increase for, for assistance across the board from spend how he wants. I, I don't know. Uh, two- Blake Harrell, you, you're going to have to give Blake Harrell a raise. Um, Blake's going to get some phone calls. The way this defense played this year, uh, how creative his blitz schemes are, if Blake Harrell don't have some opportunities at Power 5 schools, I'd be shocked. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I know there was a there was a certain coach that DG told me years ago, and I, I won't say who it was because I promised to keep him, but he got some calls from an ACC school, um, and you know that coach very, very well, DG, who I'm talking about, who has a really big job now. Um, but he was he was contacted by ACC school after we beat him a couple times. Oh, yeah. That's, I think that's relatively public knowledge now, Dave. UNC contacted Lincoln Riley. Well, there you go. You got it out there. But um, that was <laughs> – well, DG didn't tell me. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway, the point being that if an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, like a, this particular case, Blake Harrell, he's definitely going to get some looks. And, you know, um, with the way things are going right now with the Pirate Nation, uh, with this school, the very fact that it's, it's not right now, it was a pipe dream under Montgomery, we were going to win. But right now, it's easy to see Houston get 10, 11, we might have a miracle season. You never know in the next few years. I really believe. I said it, uh, DG, two more days. It'll be three years that Coach Houston's been there. I said the day he was hired, I think he's going to take us to a year six bowl at the at the very to me at the very least. Um, I really feel that confident in him. And the person that uh, the first time I heard him was on your show when he was going to the national championship. Lenore Ryan, you had him on. I didn't even know who the guy was to be honest. If it wasn't for you. I wouldn't even know who Mike Houston, who he is. I wouldn't. Well, I, to be honest, I didn't know him that well when he was at Lenore Ryan. I mean, I, I learned a lot about him. And when any school in our state, you know, at any significant level is trying to win the national title or in the national title game, you know, we did our best to get him on. And um, I don't think he won that game, if I remember correctly. But He did not. Yeah, but, I mean, he, he had him knocking on the door. He had James Madison back-to-back top two seasons. I mean, that's just incredible stuff. So I share your optimism in Mike Houston, as we discussed probably together back when he was hired. And I think that he has shown to be so far what people thought he would be. It's just a matter of how how high can he take this thing? Uh, and, he, of course, how long does he stay? Because everybody knows that just because you sign a contract through 2026 – that does not mean that you automatically stay through 2026. Uh, just just ask Notre Dame about that and Brian Kelly or Oklahoma about that with Lincoln Riley. What it, all a contract does is outline what you're going to be paid while you're coaching there, what would it what it costs them to fire you in the middle of the contract, and what it costs you if you want to leave in the middle of the contract. 
certainly doesn't keep anybody in any city <laughs> just because there's ink on paper. It just doesn't work that way. I always roll my eyes when the news headline says, this contract keeps coach so-and-so in city so-and-so through year so-and-so. No, it doesn't. It no. usually doesn't. In fact, it just outlines no, I mean, the nature of the relationship. No, exactly. I mean, literally, uh, he could leave. He could still leave this this, this off season. Yeah. I don't think it'll happen, but he could. Uh, speaking speaking of that, I'll go ahead and start these rumors. Uh, Bronco Mendenhall uh, announces today, um, out of the blue, yeah. or seemingly out of the blue, that he's retired. Or no, I shouldn't say retiring, stepping away from football for a while. Uh, I read his statement uh, that he released. Um, and it sounds like he's got some. Potentially, maybe some some things going on at home he needs to address, and uh, so uh, that kind of answers the question as to why. Um, I he, he said in the statement that uh, you know the AD and the president both asked him to stay, and uh, it sounds like he needs to focus some attention right now on his wife. Um, uh, what do, what do you make of that, DG? And where do you see UVA going? Well, Bronco Mendenhall is wired in a very unusual way. He is a man of deep, deep faith. He did a great job, of course, at BYU for a decade. I think he averaged about nine wins a year over a decade at BYU before he took the UVA job. And when he says something, by the way, it is true that this was his decision. That is absolutely true. It's also accurate to say that it's out of the blue because I've been told that Bronco Mendenhall, prior to the last 24 hours, hadn't told even his assistant coaches. So this wow. is truly out of the blue. Wow. Uh, and surprised his own players in what I was told was a very emotional meeting within the last 24 hours. Uh, it's too soon for me to know where UVA is going to go. But I know that Bronco Mendenhall, when he says that he actually has an annual mission statement for himself personally. Now, you probably roll your eyes if like nine out of ten coaches said that. I'm telling you, believe Bronco when he says that. And his personal mission right now in his eyes as a man of faith is involves stepping back. And I don't believe he has family problems per se. I just believe his faith is taking him to a place. And I could actually identify with this a little bit. Bronco and I are roughly the same age in our mid fifties. And, you know, jokingly we say, especially as guys from one to another, you know, we're going through a midlife crisis like it's time to buy the the red sports car and, and date the young blonde girl. That's the joking part. The real part is if you've been doing something for 30 plus years consecutively, as I have in the media, as he has as a football coach, counting assistant coach and head coach, I'm telling you guys, you start seeing people in your age bracket die young. You start looking in your bank account more in his case than mine and you see as much money as you ever thought you would make, and you ask yourself, what do I really want and need to do? And Bronco just basically said he is not serving his purpose on earth to just burn himself out for another 10 straight years. He has not, as you said, Kyle, he has not closed the door on getting back into coaching, but he is doing the ultimate soul-searching, call it midlife crisis or put a different label on it, that is who he is. That is where he is. The, none of this is an exaggeration. Uh, and I know the you know people who are used to sort of the 
the cutthroat nature of college sports might believe that I'm out of my mind for painting it this way. I'm telling you, ask anyone who knows Bronco Mendenhall well. This is what the guy is doing. He, he is contemplating his purpose on earth, seriously. And he sees it as time better spent with his family after, in his words, 31 straight years of a grind is something worth considering stepping away from. And as somebody personally that I just stepped away after 30-some years of the grind this past year, uh, it has been a beautiful, eye-opening, soul-filling experience to just not be in that grind all the time. PG, I had uh, one one thing to mention that uh, thanks to Kyle earlier, we have a group chat that we chat daily and uh, group text and – the one thing that uh, surprisingly this afternoon I read is the two schools that we see that maybe, and maybe you can help us out because you're ACC guy um, that we don't know until Sunday who the pirates are playing. That was one of the topics that this moves in nicely, a uh, nice seg. Um, so the two schools that we're hearing were Virginia tech and Virginia because of proximity and lo and behold, Kyle today, I'm trying to tile it together for you. Kyle says that he's coaching. He's even going to coach in the bowl game. Yeah. Yeah. Look, let's not play. And one for the Gipper. Let's don't play Virginia. Anybody. Let's <laughs> don't play. <laughs> Those so players having, do love Bronco. They do. Having said yeah. that, uh, do you think it's going to be my gut will be Virginia Tech? But uh, who do you think on based? Uh, do you know on? For certainty, or do you have any idea? I do not. I do not know for certainty. I can tell you that when it's a close call, which in this case, obviously, they have the exact same record, right? Six and six overall, four and four in conference play. Um, when it's a close call, typically, bowl games go with either the better TV matchup or which fan base travels better. And historically, it is not close. Virginia Tech football travels way better than UVA football historically. Now, where does that shake out? I, I do not know for sure how that's going to shake out. Does the Bronco news change anybody's mindset? Probably not. Um, but the, the Hokie, Hokie Nation has a pretty good track record for traveling well. Um, and even in a mediocre year, I think the Hokies would travel better than the Wahoos would uh, after a six and six season. You, and you had to fight Virginia Tech with the. There's a. Better, Virginia's more fun to watch. If anybody well, in that the, decision room cares more about the TV matchup than fans well, in the seats, Virginia's way more fun to watch. Quarterback with, is with great. Brennan Arp. Of course, we don't know exactly who's playing in all these games, but if all the people eligible to play play, the Cavaliers are. Sometimes you want to hide your eyes when the Hokies have the football. They are not a pretty offensive team. Uh, the Cavaliers are fun to watch. So two points on that. Um, one, a lot of a lot of bowls picked before the military bowl, so uh, I, I don't know. Um, it, it, I did the math the other day in terms of the ACC tiers um, of who should be picked prior to the six and six teams. And there'll be a couple of six and six teams that are going to go to bowls before the military bowl has a chance to pick. Um, I, you know, you, you mentioned about the Hokie fan base typically traveling well. They may already be off the board. Who knows? I do think the Bronco Mendenhall news does make for a great storyline. I mean, I, I who, who knows? I mean, I, you know, you, as you mentioned, typically 
the Hokies travel much better than than, than the Wahoos. But you would think with it being Broncos' last game, maybe more UVA fans would want to turn out. I don't know. I'd rather play Virginia Tech in this situation. I want to play Boston College. If, if you put it up to me, I love the matchup with Boston College. I think it would be a good matchup for the Pirates. I think we stand a good chance to win it. But uh, I don't think the Military Bowl is going to going to pick based on who I think we can beat. And, DG, another uh, question I had for you, being that you're in the Triangle area and you cover, obviously, the ACC. A lot of Pirate Nation, I'm going to put the man-on-the-street question, they want to play UNC. I don't think UNC wants to play ECU. Um, what, what is your take on that? I think you're probably right. Um, you, you guys know how that game has gone, and you guys have heard how the fans of both schools describe it, and I think there's some truth to it. So I, I don't think the Tar Heels would want to go out of your way to their way to play the Pirates. Um, I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure how the Pirates players would feel, but the ECU fans certainly love anytime they get a shot at the Tar Heels. Yeah, they won't play based on history. The last three times we played them. Um, And something else, as far as North Carolina is concerned, has I have not seen anything yet as far as Sam Howe and whether he would play or potentially opt out. Well, that's a question at a lot of places because you know you mentioned the possibility of facing BC. Phil Dracovic, when healthy, was viewed as a possible first round NFL draft pick, the Eagles quarterback. Um, now he was hurt and he did come back from that injury, but I'm not sure how that complicated his draft status. I have not seen him announce uh, a decision about how he's going to handle that situation, but y'all know the deal. What was it about five or six years ago? Um, almost nobody skipped ball games, certainly a decade ago. And then, uh, it became so commonplace that, you know, Choir boy Christian McCaffrey, now with the Carolina Panthers, decided to make a business decision and skip his bowl game while at Stanford. Um, I think the, the rule of thumb now is if you're in one of the biggest games, you play. But if you're in just another bowl game and you want to protect your draft status, that's what most of these guys are doing now. DJ, I would advise uh, some of these guys to talk to Chris Johnson because uh, Chris Johnson went from a – from maybe a second-round draft pick to a first-round draft pick and a relatively early first-round draft pick uh, because of his performance in the Hawaii Bowl and then what he did at Combines. But uh, that Hawaii Bowl really put him on the map nationally. And you know what the, the agents do, and sometimes even the mom or dad does. They'll say, hey, these are some examples where Chris Johnson and the agents have a long list. These guys improved their status. These other guys got hurt and lost millions of dollars. So, yeah. you know, it's it becomes an individual decision, and you got to kind of play the stock market a little bit. Are you happy with where you would go? What's the nature of your relationship with your coach and your teammates? Are you willing to jeopardize your body one more time? Um, that can even vary by position, right? I mean, Christian McCaffrey said, I'm the dude carrying the ball. I'm the, I'm the most likely guy, as his NFL injuries have attested, I'm the most likely guy to get hurt because the ball's in my hands all the time. Whereas, uh, you know, at some other positions, the, the risk of injury is not nearly as high. Bubba, you remember – I was going to – Bubba and Wayne, Dave, too. Do, do you guys remember back in 06, before this was a thing, and uh, we were playing South Florida in the uh, PapaJohns.com Bowl down in Birmingham – and Andre Allison, 
didn't sit out, but he might as well had. Uh, he, he he knew he was going to be drafted. Yep. And uh, he played, but uh, he didn't really play. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I, well, I, was... I think a lot of coaches would rather see the guys just opt out than go through the motions. It, yeah. it was yeah. that that was the Legion field. Oh my God! Don't get me started on Legion Field. That was the worst. That was the worst venue, considering how legendary status that I've ever seen in my life. And DG, I'll tell you, I've told the story before, but it was so bad that they they said that that neighborhood's so bad that they couldn't deliver pizzas in it because it would get robbed. So, wow. yeah, the Papa John's dot com bowl you would think would have pizza there, and then the other memory I have is there was this dude with a car table selling liquor. Um, you know, that was, that was fantastic. <laughs> I <heard> that <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, it was great to that situation. Coach Holtz got us back to a bowl. Um, we're back to a bowl now and we've got some comments, Bubba. I want to put up, I know you have Bubba's got the numbers for coaches. We'll do that, but let's get those comments of our viewers up first. And then we'll go to Bubba if we can Bubba, because, uh, DG, I know there's a lot of people that want to chime in for DG and get his thoughts on some things that so we're getting some more comments come up as I'm even saying that. So if we can put some of those comments up for, uh, for DG would be great because they're asking yeah, the question. Richard Osbrook was chiming in on Facebook, uh, asking about where Mike Houston's new deal stacks up within the American and taking a look at it. This is uh, from an article on SB nation back in the end of February. So it's nine months old, but uh, it should give us a pretty, a pretty good idea on uh, Cincinnati, Luke Fickle, 3.4 million. The salary pool for Coach Fickle's assistance, 3.85 million. Um, Houston, Dana Holgerson, 4 million, as we mentioned earlier. The salary pool. Ryan Silver, 1 million. Salary pool, 3 million. Wow. Matalolo, 80. We'll have to come back to you, Bubba. Um, we're having some trouble with uh, with your audio. Bubba, get off the Commodore 64. Get on the Apple II. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll come back to you, Bubba. Let's put some comments up here, DG. Uh, Elliot Jameson said we want either UNC or Virginia Tech. And he says he would rather see uh, UNC. Um. But he says, Virginia Tech snubbed their nose at us, so I'd like to see us beat them too. So that. Yeah, a lot of people two, are still better two, about that. Two totally different challenges, by the way. Two totally different yeah. challenges. You know, the, the Tar Heels, again, we don't know who's going to play. In fact, one of Virginia Tech's best players just uh, entered the transfer portal, their, their wide receiver who also returns punts, Tavion Robinson. Uh, really, really good player. So yes. it's a little bit of a guessing game, but stylistically, Virginia Tech was was really brutal offensively, but at times pretty good defensively. Uh, the Tar Heels lean offense much more, but you can put some points up on them most of the time. So stylistically, I mean, like the the fan who doesn't care about either the Pirates or the Tar Heels would be way more entertained if it's UNC versus ECU, because I think there's at least the possibility for some fireworks. I think East Carolina, Virginia Tech, the way Houston likes to play football, could, could be a uh, it could be a bit of a slobber knocker. That could be fun. Yeah, I, I don't mind a low score in 21-17 type ball game. Um, if that's what you like, that's work. your matchup. Yeah, Johnny Robertson says Virginia Tech will be out with Trey Turner, Raheem Blackshear. Is that Tavian Robinson? 
Malachi yep. Thomas and probably more. That's just uh, on offensive production. So there you go, DG. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, that's just the Hokies, and that might bring not it on, Virginia Tech, and no excuses. <laughs> it's hard enough to project these games when you know who is playing. It, it becomes really hard when you're not sure who's playing. How, how about that when you're trying to uh, look at film and get prepared for a team, right, DG? I mean, yeah. you're Mike Houston. That's actually a good point, well, Dave. You, you, you do think of it as an advantage, and it is, them not playing some of their best players because they're, because they're sitting out. But then again, you don't have the film maybe on a lot of these other guys. So uh, it, it does make for some interesting coaching strategy when you're looking at film, well, this kid's not playing, and this kid's not playing, and this kid's not playing. Yeah. So. But, you know, if they're good enough athletes, it's probably still a bigger advantage uh, for the Pirates if they don't play, if that's the matchup we get is uh, is uh, with the Hokies. Uh, DG, I was talking to, to Dave earlier, and um, I was I was going to make a list, and I got sidetracked. Someone called me and didn't ever make the list. But I, I was ranking in my head uh, the coaching hires so far. And, and I wasn't just doing it the traditional way. I was basing it on who could they have gotten who are they replacing? Did they make the best hire they could? You know, I'm not just going to say Lincoln Riley was the best hire, you know, because USC could have got a lot of different people, and that is a great hire. But I was kind of ranking them, and, I, you know, I, I really like, obviously, Lincoln to USC. I think Brian Kelly to, to, to LSU was a good hire, uh, you know, for, for LSU. Um, you know, the, the, the Florida hire with Billy Napier, I think Billy Napier is a good coach, but did they really upgrade or was it just a change for the sake of change? Um, you know, Virginia tech with their hire, I good hire, but they could have probably hired somebody with head coaching experience, et cetera. To, to me of all the hires out there, when I look at schools and who they could have gotten based where their pecking order sits in college football, to me, who I think made the best hire of any school that overachieved that outkicked their coverage, that what a tremendous hire Akron, Hiring Joe Moorhead, offensive coordinator, Oregon, former head coach at Mississippi State, who, by the way, had just as much success as Mike Leach. I still don't know why they fired him at Mississippi State. Two seasons, back-to-back -back ball games, and they fire him. He was extremely successful at Hofstra. He was successful at Penn State as OC. Pittsburgh guy, basically, I think, just wanted out of the West Coast, wanted back home. Akron's very close to Pittsburgh. I, I really believe, had he waited, Temple would have fired him. I think right now, if Joe Moorhead hadn't taken the Akron job, he would be the top candidate for Temple. I, to me, that was the best hire in terms of who could that school have gotten uh, at home run by Akron's AD. Yeah, it, it all depends on how you phrase it because the way you phrased it, I agree with you. I mean, I thought Joe Moorhead obviously did a pretty good job as an SEC head coach and was shown the door anyway at a, at a very difficult place to win consistently. And he was good at Oregon as a coordinator. So, and Akron is not a good job. That is not a, a well-run football program. So, uh, I agree with that. I also agree with if you if you take the different approach and you just say who got the best coach, I think Southern Cal getting Lincoln Riley. That is a grand slam because <laughs> that guy we know as people who follow the Pirates is top notch. And he can dominate the Pac-12 in a way that Oklahoma was usually the school representing the, you know, the Big 12 that is about to disappear with all this realignment. Um, I, this is a huge day for the Trojans 
who in my childhood were a really prominent college football team, yep. but then weren't for a while. And obviously they got back to the top of the mountain before Pete Carroll jumped to the NFL uh, with some scandals along the way. But uh, th- this is a, a huge day for Southern Cal football. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, at DG, people uh, – It's a, a, I was telling um, Kyle earlier, people were down – you know, like putting down Lincoln Riley. Why in the world would you go to Southern Cal? I said there's 110 million reasons yeah. why I would go to Southern Cal. If I could have a Learjet – and I know Kyle's from LaGrange and Bubba's from China Grove lives there. If I have a Learjet that my family can use 24-7, 365, all of a sudden my home here in Williamston becomes a um, – retirement home, uh, you know, when I retire or and or vacation home when I want to see the family anytime, 110 million. And and oh, by the way, those four stars and five star guys, he's already recruiting them anyway yes. in California. And those guys are entering the transfer portal at Oklahoma or decommitting. They're going to be with him at Southern Cal. I really think people are foolish to think that that's a bad move for him. When I think that the bottom line, I hate to say it for Oklahoma fans. Dave, but where did you hear that at, man? I, 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 granted, I don't listen to as much national radio as you do because I really don't care about a lot of people's opinions. <laughs> but I, who, where are you hearing that? I don't know why anybody would think with them going to the SEC, I don't think Oklahoma's recruiting profile is going to change any. It's just going to be harder for them to win. And now Lincoln leaves there. He he will dominate the Pac-12 at USC. I mean, I think it will be utter domination. Yeah. You, you know, you know the four questions that coaches ask when they consider their current job and other jobs. Seriously, I'll go through them very quickly. Number one is, what are you going to pay me? Show me the money, as they <laughs> said in the Jerry Maguire movie. That always, always matters. One B, if you'd like, or number two, if you prefer is can I win there? Can I win there? That matters more than fans think. If you're going to a place that you don't think you can recruit to or doesn't give you enough recruiting assistant, assistant coaching salary you know, uh, budgets or, or whatever, for if you see obstacles to winning, sometimes even money won't lure you there. And then the third and fourth things are, does my family want to live there? It's not as important as the first two, but it does matter. And a, guy, a lot of guys listen to their wives, I can promise you. I personally know basketball coaches who turned down jobs they wanted because their wife told them, I will never live in blank. So you can either take that job and leave me and the kids behind, or you can turn that job down. Um, and then the fourth question is, who's my boss? And again, that's not as important as the first three questions, but if you don't like or trust your athletic director or your university president, that can scare some people away. Yes. Go ahead. I was going to ask you, DG, uh, another vacancy. Um, uh, I hate that things happen the way they did in Durham the last two seasons for Duke. You're in the ACC as far as the coaching search there. Do you know, uh, do you have a gut feeling on who they're going to pick as the next coach at Duke University? I'll tell you one thing that I know people who um, prefer these two guys and their styles could not be more dramatically different. This, this is absolutely fascinating to me. Army's head coach, Jeff. Yes. He's, he's the run the ball guy. Right. And he does it as a, at a high academic institution, which of course, Mm -hmm. West point slash army is. 
He's 43 wins and 19 losses over five mm -hmm. seasons, and he's only 54 years old, which is not old, old. Um, but stylistically, imagine this contrast. Everybody remembers Steve Spurrier uh, as the Florida coach and national champion, and maybe even as a, a player. But Steve Spurrier, of course, senior, was also the Duke head coach the last time the Blue Devils shared an a ACC football title, way back at the end of the 1980s. Steve Spurrier's son, Steve Spurrier Jr., has been learning at the side of Mike Leach, the air raid, at both Washington State and nowadays at Mississippi State. So Steve Spurrier Jr. is only 40 years old. He is a Duke grad. He, of course, knows the Duke culture because of his dad and because he was a student there. Um, and you have the tie to his dad and the brand name and all that. So they're not the I'm not saying they're the only two candidates, but it's hard to have more of a contrast between candidates than those guys. Uh, and there's a Durham native named Josh Gaddis, who was a player at Wake Forest, but he's actually Michigan's offensive coordinator right now. He's he's one of the finalists for that Broyles Award that goes to the top assistant coach in America in college football. Josh Gaddis played at Wake Forest, so I don't know how Duke feels about that. But he, he's he's born and raised and played high school ball right there in Durham, North Carolina. And, of course, if you coached it or played at Wake and coached at Michigan, you know about some academic complications when it comes to recruiting. So those are some names worth following um, for the Duke job moving forward. Yeah, I've heard Munkin is very junior, and I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of uh, Coach Munkin up at army and, and what he's done. And before that at Georgia Southern, I, um, I think, he's, I think he's, I think he's tremendous. And, uh, it, it would, it would not Georgia. So he wasn't ever, was he, at, I'm, I'm confusing myself. I don't think he was ever at Georgia Southern. Um, <laughs> but anyway, he's, he's done a hell of a job at, uh, at army. And, uh, he, um, that's the direction I'd go if I was Duke. I think that could be long-term sustainable if they can get him. I don't know if he wants to leave army. Um, By the way, I think you're right. I think you're right, Kyle. He was at Georgia Southern. He was okay, and he and he's making two million at Army now, um, a national brand. Uh, you have the Army Navy game every year. Um, one of the things those school that has trouble drawing fans in football. I mean that I've been at that Wallace Wade Stadium many a time, and it is usually a ghost town. Let me tell you. Let me tell you a funny story. I had uh, David Cutcliffe when he took the job 14 years ago on my radio show. I said, Coach Cut, I saw the Rolling Stones. And I've been to so many Duke football games over the years. And uh, and I said it was so easy to go get a drink or use a bathroom uh, because there was nobody there. And I said, I go to the Rolling Stones concert with that same mindset. And I was like, I was shoulder to shoulder with people in Wallace Wade Stadium. I was like, I've never going to ECU yeah. games where Duke played Duke ECU and all kinds of uh, games, preseason, you name it. And I was just laughing. I said, what is it going to take? And he talked about the product on the field. I just hate things turned out the way they did because here's a guy, as you know, DG, when you were doing your show, that gets all the way to the ACC championship game against Jimbo Fisher in 2013. I mean, uh, took him to levels that Duke football hadn't seen what since the – and then really sustained success since, what, the 50s? Even more than what Spurrier had, really. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, six bowls in seven years – at a program that had been, no exaggeration, one of the worst in the Power Five for multiple decades. 
uh, with, you know, one Fred Goldsmith season in between, you know, right. it was pretty yeah. successful between Spurrier's success in the late eighties. And he left quickly after a few seasons and then Cutcliffe arriving, you know, 14 years is one of the longest tenures in the history of the ACC for a football coach. So uh, I always remind people when we talk hot seat, people who struggle, generally speaking, there are always exceptions, but if you're struggling several years in a row in year 14, you're probably going to lose your job. Even if you're David yep. Cutcliffe, an absolutely beloved member of that university community. I mean, they even announced it as a mutual agreement, which I basically believe it was. Um, but, you know, Justin Fuente had six years, not two years. You get the benefit of the doubt most of the time after two years, not six years. Yep. Uh, and I think that rule has applied not everywhere. Dan Mullen had three pretty darn good years, then one bad year and was out at Florida. But the SEC tends to do things a little differently. How how, uh, how old is Coach Cut? He would be at the end of his 60s. I can find his exact number. Okay. But, yeah, he's, you know, yeah. Jim Beheim and Mike Krzyzewski on the basketball side, this is not an exaggeration, are two of the oldest coaches in the history of Division I basketball. Syria wow. as a head coach at the D1 level, Beheim's 75. I mean, I think he might be the oldest ever. And Kay's only a couple years behind him. So Cut's only He's a few years behind yeah. those guys. It, it, was, yeah. it was the right time for him. Um, I said two months ago, Dave Clawson's going to have a personal decision to make about Wake Forest in the positive sense because schools were going to try to get him. Uh, he actually turned down interest from Virginia Tech before they hired Brent Pry. Um, so Clawson turned down inquiries from others to stay at Wake. And about a month or so ago, I said Dave, David Cutcliffe was going to have a different kind of personal decision because he is getting older. He is a family man. And kind of like I talked to Roy Williams recently. Roy Williams travels with his wife, Wanda, plays all the golf he wants to play, and gets on the ground and plays with his grandkids in a way that he couldn't while he was in the grind for most of the last 30 years. You know, the older you get, the more you start thinking about those things. And I don't think Roy Williams regrets his schedule right now as all the pressure is on Hubert Davis instead. I was, I was looking up in the corner at the picture of Bubba when he came on live. So to me, it was like Bubba morphed into a real person. It was just like it just, it just <laughs> went from the picture to suddenly live Bubba. <laughs> I try to do what I can do, Kyle. But uh, going back to Dan Mullen, I heard a stat. This was compliments of um, pot up with Matthews in the morning. Shane Matthews, obviously the excellent quarterback there at Florida, SEC Player of the Year on a couple of occasions there, and Coach Spurrier's first two seasons at the helm. But um, you know, if you take a look at it, I think they were something like two and nine or two and ten in their last twelve games against against um, P5 opponents. So that's something that really uh, was working against Coach Mullen. And then this year, think about how dramatic uh, the drop-off was and how the wheels absolutely came off. I mean, they nearly beat Alabama. And, yes, Alabama's not exactly uh, as dominant as they've been in recent seasons, but still nearly beat Alabama and then give up 42 points and a half to Sanford. The, the, other, the other side of that story is Dan Mullen's first three years at Florida – they finished in the national top 15 all three years. There's a lot yeah. of coaches that go their entire lives and never produce one top 15 football program. He did it three years in a row and then crashed back to earth 
And that is, that's what have you done for me lately? That two and 12, uh, two and 10 in the last 12, obviously that's going to get the wolves howling. It just, it it is at a school that takes football as seriously as Florida does. Usually (laughs) let's count the number of top 15 seasons in the history of this state. It's not a long list, especially if you make it top 10 finish in the top 10 of the polls. That is not a long list, man. Some we schools, have this, one. some schools in this state, you know, don't have to use more than one or two fingers. Um, and then, and then Ed Orgeron, what he was like fifty-one and twenty. Yeah, obviously, obviously won that national title where they were just absolutely crushing people. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that situation and the hiring of Brian Kelly? Yeah, the money has made it like monopoly money in the SEC. They print money in a way that only the Big Ten compares. They're way above the ACC, the Big 12, and the Pac-12. And when you make that kind of money, largely through football, it just ratchets up the pressure to stay good, even if you've been good. Florida getting rid of Mullen after one bad year is proof of that. Uh, Eddie O getting fired after taking the Tigers to the national title is an example of that. That's just the way it's going to be in the SEC especially, right? I mean, Texas A&M lured Jimbo Fisher away from Florida State, where he had won a national championship with what was then the largest contract in the history of college athletics. I'm not sure if it still is, but it was a 10-year, $95 million deal, which is similar to what Brian Kelly just signed uh, at LSU. So, they're making the most money. They're spending the most money. They have the biggest, prettiest facilities. They're they're also in the net. They're the only conference that has been represented in the college football playoff every single season, given that the ACC is going to miss it this year. This will be a first miss for the ACC. But the SEC is the only one that's there every time, and sometimes they have more than one team there. And it goes back in part to tradition, but it goes back also to recruiting the best players and spending to hire whoever the the flavor of the day is as the you know the hottest coaches in America. Hey DG, I hey, thought that everybody I thought about everybody was last year were saying that how poor college athletics is, but this year it's amazing how all of a sudden they found money after being broke last There's year. There's plenty of money to go around at the bigger schools, man. There's a lot of money to go around. DG, what would you think of Dan Mullen to UVA? That would make sense to me. I would hire Dan Mullen. You know, the Florida athletic director said some murky things where it's almost like saying, well, I can't tell you guys why I broke up with my ex-girlfriend, but if you knew it all, man, you'd never want to date her either. Dan Mullen's AD at Florida said stuff kind of like that. Like, I'm I'm sorry. Basically, he said – Oh, you, you mean you mean you mean when some idiot fired uh, Ruffin McNeil and said some similar crap? <laughs> Perhaps another good example. Um, I do think schools will wonder what those unspoken things were. I don't claim to know what they were. I just know Dan Mullen's a heck of a football coach. But if I'm thinking of hiring Dan Mullen, I absolutely must do my due diligence and ask questions about what those other things were that Florida claimed went into their decision to fire Dan Mullen when they did. I heard he didn't like to recruit. Um, that's one of the big things I heard. He was not a fan of recruiting. And uh, so I, I don't know how much that had to do with it. And if that's, the only, if that's the only thing, that is, a, that is alarming. 
but you know, crazy stuff happens in college athletics where, you know, you just wonder if it's something even bigger than that, but that is an alarm bell, right? I mean, recruiting is the pipeline of your organization. And if you came to believe that one of the reasons he crashed in year four was that he was never really a great recruiter. And those first three years were largely because of his predecessors recruiting or, or his ability to just kind of squeeze the most out of somebody else's players. Uh, yeah. It, the down, just like Mike Houston's upward trend in year three benefits and reflects well on him. Uh, Dan Mullen's crash in year four made people look at him differently. Yeah. I don't know that I believe that though, because it didn't happen at Mississippi state. Yeah. And Mississippi State's a lot harder place to recruit to than Florida. True. Maybe he was just burned out on recruiting. I don't know. But, no, that, I, you know, Mullen doesn't strike me. And I've never been in a room with Dan Mullen. I've never seen him in a locker room. Dan Mullen doesn't strike me as a guy that would be a slime ball. No, no he, doesn't think, me, he doesn't me either. I agree with you. Here, here's the deal on that, on that situation. He basically – what was it he said at a press conference? We'll talk about recruiting after the season or something. And all of a sudden, everybody said he's uh, not recruiting – um, I think that he was focused on the game at hand. Um, and I don't think that he does dislikes recruiting. If you look at the recruiting classes, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I mean, they were not like 30, 40 or 50. They were way on up there. So I don't understand how people could say he, I mean, there might be coaches that don't like recruiting, but they still have good recruiting classes. But I don't think the recruiting was the issue. I think um, at some point, somehow, I think it's apparent that he lost the locker room because they were not playing. The talent that, that's at Florida to be struggling at some of the teams, including Sanford, is a, is disgusting. Um, so I don't think it's a matter of he didn't – well, I don't know Dan Mullen, but I think that that all started because of one comment he made at a press conference. And that's, it, that's a shame. It's an unforgiving league. It is just a deep, talented, intense – Rabid fan bases, big money, unforgiving league. I think only Vanderbilt is a truly bad football program in that entire conference. And that league is about to get tougher, right, with Texas and Oklahoma on the way. So there's just – there are just no weak sisters. There's, there's nobody to beat up on every year the way they're at times, you know, for long stretches of ACC history, depending on how far you go back. Duke had long stretches where it was horrible. Wake had long stretches where it was horrible. Prior to George Welsh, UVA had long stretches where it was horrible. So if you were in an eight or nine team league and three or four were bad every year, well, you only had to win three of your other four and you're seven and one, right? I mean, it doesn't work that way in the SEC, man. And that's why we're seeing all these heads on the chopping blocks. Did you uh, go ahead, Bubba? A couple things, um, you know, as far as the Florida situation, Shay Matthews, uh, he had served this year as a color analyst on the radio network for at least several games and watches uh, that program, obviously, um, with a lot of uh, attention to detail and so forth. Uh, in, in his estimation, uh, he thought it's a lack of talent and a lack of effort. And uh, I don't know if it was maybe they had missed on some guys, some of those high-profile recruits um, that Dave was referencing. And then also uh, going back to the contract situation, you knew that Brian Kelly and then also Lincoln Riley were going to get the numbers they did uh, after Mel Tucker had that deal for, what, 10 years and $95 million. Yeah. I have a big, big uh, – I, I wonder if Michigan State regressed that yet. I mean, they kind of crashed and burned after <laughs> – I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. 
that's that's yeah. the one that's a head scratcher for me. Not that he's not talented, and I know he's a good coach, but the other two coaches you get, they're proven commodities. And with Tucker, it's like, okay, we like you, but he could be he could be a flash in the pan. Like, like yeah, Kyle I think State. they overreacted to his name coming up for LSU. Um, I think that was a big overreaction on Michigan State's part. DG, I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I if if you did or didn't, but I had another question for you. And it's, yeah, lay it on me. It's kind of, it's kind of a it's kind of a question that's near and dear to uh, all group of five fans right now. Uh, is Cincinnati going to make the playoffs? I, I think if personally. I think if they blow out Houston and as long as – well, I don't even think they have to blow out Houston. I think as long as they beat Houston and Georgia beats Alabama, they're safe. I agree with your assessment the way you just put it because obviously Georgia would be in, um, and then we're not even sure what Michigan's going to do, but let's assume Michigan wins the big title game. The Wolverines would be in. Alabama with two losses, even if it's a close loss to Georgia – uh, they're not going to get, in my opinion, they would not get at 11 and 2 the nod over your hypothetical 13 and 0 AAC champion Cincinnati Bearcats. Um, so, Cincinnati in that scenario could be a three seed. Maybe Oklahoma State would leapfrog uh, somebody if they, you know, take care of Baylor, which is a top 10 team. But yeah, I think I think the scenario if Georgia beats Alabama would be some combination of Georgia, Michigan, Cincinnati, Oklahoma State, and, and Notre Dame and those other teams just have too many things that need to happen for them to. It's possible, but but it's I think it's unlikely, and I just don't think this. We've never had a two-loss team in the big in the college football playoff, and I don't think we're going to have one this year either. What about I'll Alabama play. winning? But what about if Alabama does Alabama win? winning winning a close game is going to result in Alabama making it and Georgia making it too. There's no doubt in my mind. Then you gotta yeah. then you gotta see does Michigan win? There the Wolverines are only in, of course, if they win their conference title game. Um, and then the nerve wracking scenario is Alabama beats Georgia. They both get in. Michigan wins. The Wolverines are in, and then Oklahoma State thumps Baylor. You know, that's the scenario that I guess potentially leaves Cincinnati out, but I think that's the only scenario where it's even a possibility, and I'm not sure even that would do it. Yeah, I think it would have to be Oklahoma State thumping Baylor and Cincinnati struggling mightily with Houston. Yes, yes. And that's a lot of things that would have to happen to leave the Bearcats out. We just listed how, a whole bunch. How fun would it be? If 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 Cincy can move up to three, Georgia beats Alabama, and you get Cincy Michigan in the two three matchup, can Cincinnati out Ohio State Ohio State and beat Michigan? That would be fun to watch, man. I think there's a lot of people. I, I'll put it this way: I never felt that some of those other group of five teams that were undefeated. I don't. I never felt that their resumes deserved to be in the top four. Now, would I like a different format that would allow those teams in? Yes, I would like a bigger playoff. But they didn't have on their resumes what Cincinnati has with that win against Notre Dame. You know, beating a team on its home field by double digits that is currently ranked number six, that makes Cincinnati's resume different than all those other group of five powerhouses that – that got left out in years past. And I would not have felt, I didn't feel bad for those other teams. Not, I, I should say this. I felt bad for them that the format didn't allow more than four teams. Right. In. 
but I did not believe their resume was worthy of a top four. This Cincinnati team's resume is worthy of the top four. DG, would yeah. you, if uh, if for some reason the hypothetical comes up where Cincinnati is left out, would you, you're a lawyer, can you sue the CFP? Yeah. You can sue, but you won't win. Um, it, it comes down to basically you're a member of an organization, or in this case, you know, as you guys know, the college football playoff is not even run by the NCAA. So you're not even suing the NCAA for a change. The NCAA is not the defendant in a lawsuit. It would be the college football (laughs) playoff itself. You could sue, but the day that your university signed on the dotted line, that this was how the rules were going to work and there's going to be this committee and they're going to get to make their decision. You signed away. You're not going to win. You signed up for this process. That doesn't mean the process is going to spit out what you want. And it's not like filing a lawsuit to defend a right that you have. You don't have a right to be in the final four, right? Um, You hope you were, you think you deserve it. You think you have an argument, but the judge who would receive that lawsuit, one of the things that judge would say is that my job as the judge is not to determine whether your resume was one of the top four resumes. My job is to determine whether that organization followed the rules that they laid out or, or even came close to following the rules that they laid out. And as long as they did that, then he, then the judge is going to wash his or her hands of the situation and say, sorry, Cincinnati, even if I personally believe you had one of the four best resumes, you lose this lawsuit. Lose this lawsuit. So the leagues yeah. itself, of all the leagues itself that are like, I see the big 12 pack 12. There's a lot of other power five conferences that should side with a group of five. Um, but that would be – they would have to – I guess what you're saying well, for essentially playoff expansion, – For playoff expansion, I, I think, David, I mean, to cut you off, but no. I think where you're going with this, the – I think the Pac-12, you know, they were kind of the ones that all of a sudden when the SEC expanded, they wanted to put the brakes on playoff expansion, and I think they're the ones that should want it the most. Um, it doesn't make any sense to me. If you expand to 12 playoff teams – and you have your five so-called Power Five champions automatically in. Then you have one group of five champion in. That's six. Then you get six at largest. It gives everybody in the group of five a shot. It's going to guarantee the Pac-12 and the ACC champion is going to be in every year. And then you're going to have six at largest. Now, maybe the SEC does get two more of those at largest. But so still, what? it's going to guarantee you. It's going to guarantee the Pac-12 a playoff spot. It's going to guarantee the ACC a playoff spot, which they ain't going to get this year. So why those conferences wouldn't be in favor of expanding to 12 along with the group of five conferences is beyond me. I think there's more agreement there's more agreement to grow maybe even all the way to 12 than there is agreement on how the rules would work. Just one quick example of that. So in other words, Kyle, I don't think the Pac-12 or those other leagues object to growing the playoff. I think they object to the way the SEC wants to grow the playoff. The right. one example would be I think Greg Sankey just came out and said that he as a league, he as the representative of that league is against the idea of automatic qualifiers for the power five leagues. Oh my God. If you as the SEC commissioner are against a automatic qualifiers for the power five leagues, you just alienated four other commissioners who yep. are already paranoid that the SEC teams get too much credit in the voting process and they want to protect their own champion. And so you're now you're now losing the vote four to one. Even if those other four want to expand the playoff, 
your version of the playoff is going to lose four to one in that vote of five, right? So these things have to be negotiated. And a lot of people don't understand, too, that the way money is distributed is a huge part of the college football playoff. It surprises a lot of people to learn that, believe it or not, your academic performance as a program translates into how much of that big pot of gold trickles back to your school. So if, if you have a new format for a playoff, you got to renegotiate how the money is split, how much of it is based on academics, you know, how much extra money that second team from a certain conference gets, how much money do the, do the first 12 teams get, how much more money do you get with each uh, round that you win a game. Um, all of those things are up for debate in a new system. And the SEC has a different view of that than I think most of the other leagues do. ADG is kind of like you being a lawyer. The analogy I use, I'm sorry, I was just going to make a quick point and then jump to you, Kyle. The analogy I use for for Sankey is kind of like with the Supreme Court, packing the Supreme Court. They want to put as many judges as they can. And this particular case, they want to put like seven or eight SEC schools. Sorry, Greg Sankey, that's not the way life works, even though you might be the most – when everybody rolled their eyes at that thing called the Alliance, I, I half rolled my eyes with them because the Alliance that was announced among the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC, it has no teeth. It has no contract. It's not even barely like – it's not even a handshake agreement. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's truly like a concept. So I rolled my eyes to that degree. However – the alliance in the form of we're not letting that league ram down our throats the way the version of the college football playoff that they want to have. You can roll your eyes at the name of the alliance. You can roll your eyes at the fact that it's not on paper. You can roll your eyes that it's toothless. Well, guess what? Three votes beats one vote. Yep. And that's where the alliance matters. And, and that's a shot across the bow of the SEC that you you might be the wealthiest league but you are not, you know, the king in control of all things in the college football land. And there's some other people whose votes matter as well. And you better learn to get along a little bit better with some of those other leagues. Or as in politics, you're not going to be able to get everything you want without some kind of coalition. Yeah, I think uh, in terms of the playoff, expanding the 12, and hopefully it'll happen. I j- just just give the group of five one 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 damn yeah, bid. I think just so. give us one bid. That's that's all right. we want is an opportunity with, with the possibility and, uh, of more. Right? I mean, one guarantee exactly. spot and the yeah. possibility of more. Yeah, exactly. And then back to the alliance. Just something every time I hear the alliance and think about it, it makes me want to laugh. And the only person that's going to get this is going to be Dave. And I'm not sure Dave's going to get this. Meaning Dave Richmond. I it, there was a this <laughs> is so stupid, uh, but there was a time in wrestling. Where, uh, where, where the Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen got together and called themselves the Alliance to Stop Hulkamania. <laughs> I love it. And Literally, hey, DG, D, yeah, I was just going to say, DG is from a hotbed of wrestling. I was thinking about that last night, knowing you were coming on, and we always talk about wrestling. With, I, I grew up with Northern style wrestling. Yeah. But still, Philly, Philly, originally? Philly. I'm from Philadelphia. Oh, from Philly. Okay. Well, yeah. Philly is interesting. Back, back, uh, Back when you were growing up, you know, that's WWWF territory. But a little bit later on, Jim Crockett Promotions, which was, of course, based in the Carolinas, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, the NWA, ended up becoming a, uh, a regular in Philly. Uh, one would run the Philadelphia Civic Center, and then one would run the um, 
was it Philly Expo Center? What was the other building called in Philly? Um, I, I saw a WWF event at the Spectrum, which no Spectrum. longer Spectrum. 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 Yes. Yeah, there's a new Spectrum now, but the old Spectrum. I'm talking like way back in the yes. WWF would run the Philadelphia Spectrum, and then uh, NWA would run. I guess it was called the Philadelphia Civic Center okay. or something like that. And uh, oh, so yeah, yeah and, and then later on, you had Philadelphia wrestling with a company called ECW. You care about none of this, DG, but uh, the the the, uh, the 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 dude from Temple. Who? What's his name, Dave? What's that? The basketball coach? Uh, no, no. The the guy we have on a regular basis from Temple, Dave. Oh, you're talking about uh, Ryan? Yeah, Ryan from uh, – who's he with? Ryan Wallen from Al Ryan Al Wallen. Daily, Temple. uh, Temple's 24-7 sports site. There you go. Yeah, thank you. Uh, he uh, He's he's a huge uh, Philadelphia wrestling uh, historian and uh, really cool. good to talk about stuff with, yeah. Hey, man, I, I saw Andre the Giant wrestle and, and uh, Hulk Hogan, George the Animal Steel. SD Special Delivery Jones, Chief J Strongbow. Um, I'm sorry you had to watch Jay Strongbow wrestle. I apologize on behalf yeah, of right? anybody who's ever watched. <laughs> uh, the the Wild Samoans were the tag team champions oh, yeah. for a while. Mr. Yep. Fuji and Professor Tanaka were another uh, tag team uh, wow. championship uh, pairing. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of that stuff back in the day. And the Samoan legacy still going strong now. Uh, Roman Reigns, uh, the uh, the uh, the son of one of the Wild Samoans. So uh, the, we we didn't get nearly as much, some, but not as much. Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes. So when I moved to the South, which now is a long, long time ago. I mean, you know, I've, been yeah. South, I've been in the South for I think thirty four years. Uh, so I a, a lot of my college buddies and others, we all knew. They knew the guys I saw, and I knew the guys that they saw. But Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes and Harley Race back in the day and so many yeah. others were just – it was fascinating to me. It's not like I lived, you know, in the North Pole. I only lived six <laughs> hours north of here, and yet the culture of wrestling we grew up with only overlapped to a certain degree with the culture of yeah. wrestling down here. It was the late 80s when the NWA started to run in uh, Philadelphia, but yeah. what – we used to have in wrestling what was called territories, and you, you had regional territories. Yeah. And uh, the WWF at the time was the Northeastern Territory, Crockett Promotions through the Carolinas at Mid Atlantic, Florida Championship. I mean, I, we could, I could just give you a history. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's interesting you said that, Kyle, because I was leaving Philly in the late 80s as at roughly the same time that the whole wrestling world was yeah. changing. So, yes. um, yeah, that's a good point. The territories were dying, national expansion, cable TV. And uh, yeah, all that stuff. Nobody wants to hear this. But <laughs> <laughs> We're over an hour with you, DG. I've got one final question. And of course, I ask you the toughest question. I got to save the best for last. Will we have baseball in 2022? I think we will. I hope we will. I mean, that's my original sport. It's the one I played yeah. the longest. It's the one I fell in love with first. I still love it to this day. I even watched the playoffs, even though my team is the Phillies and one of their rivals, the Braves, won it all. So congratulations to all the Braves fans out there, even though it hurts a little to say that. <laughs> I do believe that most of the time, Dave, and this was proven true earlier this week, when the ACC Network finally cut a deal with Comcast, when two enormously powerful groups are fighting over an enormous bucket of money, most of the time, it works out before the money starts dwindling 
or you alienate your fan base or, or the other horrible things happen. Um, so I know there have been exceptions to that rule, but I said about two months ago, Comcast needs the ACC network enough and the ACC network needs Comcast enough that they're going to get it done. They're going to get it done. Sure enough, this week they finally got it done. Um, there are months to go for the, the uh, baseball folks to get this done. Um, they might miss some of the spring training or whatever, but I think cooler heads will prevail and they'll have hopefully a full season, but if not close to it. Still billionaires versus millionaires argument, exactly. right? That's exactly what it is, man. There's nobody to feel sorry for. <laughs> There's just not. It's just <laughs> the people, fans, right? It's, it's, yeah, exa exactly. There's, you're, um, that's well put. Nobody on either side of the bargaining table should we feel sorry for they both have a lot it's just a matter of you know your definition of what's fair uh, but man I, I for for the fans sake and and really everybody's sake i want to see the national pastime persevere and and keep keep entertaining us and how can people follow your work my friend you've been generous with your time over an hour appreciate it I love every single time you come on and the viewerships and the listeners that we get because people miss you on the David Glenn show. So uh, how can people follow your work? And hopefully at some point you'll come on and give us breaking news that we have a new DG show that we can. Well, thank you, Dave. You're always kind. How's this for funny? Soon after my visit with you all tonight, trying to remember what day this is. I, I the, the national sports media association, yep. which has named me the sportscaster of the year here in North Carolina, a couple of times. Up there, they, they have national seminars at their upcoming event. So there's, you know, this, play-by-play -play seminar and this other seminar guess who's hosting the sports radio national seminar me in winston-salem wow. later this month so it's just funny that i'm not currently a sports radio host but i'm giving the national seminar on the topic and i'm also collecting my 2019 award later this month because the, oh, cool. the previous opportunity to collect it was canceled by COVID. so anyway uh, anybody who happens to, it is open to the public, that event. So I hope to see some folks in Winston-Salem. But in terms of uh, where to find me, the best place to go is uh, either davidglenshow.com, which has some information on what I'm doing these days, uh, or on Twitter at David Glenn Show, where I still uh, tweet about all sorts of things and retweet things that are of interest to people who care about sports in the state of North Carolina especially. Well, I hope uh, we probably won't have you on before the holidays. So, wish you a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thank you. And man. Uh, we'll definitely have you back for basketball, uh, certainly. And uh, as the conference races get up, we'll talk ACC and some hoops uh, next year. Sounds good, Dave. Good to be with y'all. Take care. All right. Thanks, man. Thank Appreciate you. you. Good night. Glad, as always, to have DG on. It means a lot to have him on. We appreciate all that he does for us here on the show. And uh, guys, hard to believe uh, March makes four years we've been doing the show. So DG's been on with us since uh, the spring of 2018. He's made uh, regular visits, so appreciate him very much. Guys, uh, very happy uh, for the time we have left. Uh, maybe we can go over a little depth of the contract if uh, you guys want to. Very excited uh, to have Coach Houston. At least we have him under contract. Um, so they got that done today being Thursday. Very happy about it. What do you think, guys think? Yeah, it needed to be done and give some pay raise. Um, I, uh, you know, it's one of those things, like DG said, it really doesn't mean a whole lot in terms of keeping him long term, but it shows that he's appreciated. 
uh, gives them a raise that, you know, makes, makes the salary more competitive in the American. And, uh, you, you know, he's happy here. Uh, it, it, what it does is it, it makes him not want to jump for the first job that, that, that's, that's right. offered. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure if he keeps having success here at some point, the right job will come up and then he's gone. Uh, we won't be able to afford, you know, whoever makes him the big offer, but, uh, it, glad, glad to have him under contract. There was some interesting bonuses in the contract, uh, $50,000 bonus for making a bowl game. Uh, that surprised me a little bit. Um, because uh, you, you figure hopefully we'll be doing that pretty regularly. So that's a nice uh, – he can almost count on that bonus, uh, six and six, and he'll get it. Um, I believe it was 75000 for a New Year's Six Bowl. So um, surprised me a little bit. You know, 50000 for a bowl game is only a $25,000 bump for a New Year's Six Bowl. The 75000 for the New Year's Six Bowl really didn't surprise me. 50000 for any bowl game kind of did. Don't have a problem with it. Just surprising. Um, we'll, go ahead, Bubba. Um, we had, we had Richard Osbrook chiming in on Facebook once again, uh, saying, "Do we get an indoor practice facility?" Uh, Richard, I, you may have already watched it, but uh, if not, uh, I urge you to go to our YouTube channel and check out the comments from John Gilbert. It was after Mike Houston uh, had addressed the media that last ten to twelve minutes or so. Um, mm-hmm. John Gilbert was asked a variety of questions from the media. And one of the things that he addressed was, and uh, Kyle, you were referencing this earlier as well. And just talking about going, you know, um, out and meeting with donors and that something uh, would be announced here in the coming weeks, uh, as far as something like a, like an IPF an indoor practice facility. So uh, that's something that I think we'll see um, probably early 2022. Uh, but going back to what I was saying when I had some poor service, you know, as far as where Mike Houston and this new deal is paying him $2.3 million annually stacks up within the American. Uh, at Cincinnati, you have Luke Fickle making $3.4 million, salary pool of $3.85 million. Um, at Houston, you have Dana Holgerson making $4 million, salary pool $4.5 million. At Memphis, Ryan Silverfield, $1.8 million, salary pool $3 million. At Navy, Kenny Matalolo, 2.3. At salary pool, unknown. SMU, uh, obviously, Sonny Dykes is moving on. Rhett Lashley's incoming. I do not know uh, Rhett Lashley's numbers, but Sonny Dykes uh, said 1.34 million. That sounds low. I don't. Uh, so that, that's, that was a little surprising to me. He had Rod Carey getting let go at Temple, but he was making 2 million. And they're, they're uh, currently still seeking to hire their new coach on uh, Willie Fritz, 1.6 million down at Tulane and uh, Philip Montgomery, 1.7 million at Tulsa, Gus Malzahn, 2.3 million salary pool with 3.3 mil there at UCF. And lastly, uh, Jeff Scott down in Tampa is making 1.8 for USF salary pool, three and a half million. So let's well, you know. That, that's his- all accurate. Uh, uh, Coach, Coach Houston uh, should be very pleased with his contract. Yeah, he's very happy. <laughs> he's very happy for you uh, being around him today. And I do believe him, guys, when, you know, one of the terms they've used on ECPirates.com, you heard Coach say, I think it was on his radio show, but it's uh, unfinished, unfinished business. Um, I think a guy that he knows, we all know the, the deal when you have literally – 
a seven and five season. Not that it's bad, it's great for us, but we know that this program could easily be winning under Houston 10 games a year. And that and I know people say, Dave, that's a pipe dream. It's not a pipe dream under the Houston uh, era. Uh, maybe in other previous eras, but not under Houston. He can get us to the promised land of winning 10. Maybe we have miracle seasons under Houston. That's what we're uh, getting ready to have. And I think um, that he knows that it's going to take that in order for him. Let's say hypothetically he wants to go to a SEC school. You have multiple years where you're winning 10 games. That's what it's going to take to uh, get a, a really, really, really big paycheck. And his wife, Amanda, loves Greenville. The boys are, um, he said even today, again today, the boys are doing very well in the last three years in Greenville. So that played a big factor. He's getting good money. Uh, plus, he has a chance now to win the conference and his family's happy. So what more could you ask for? Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I, uh, I, I'm i still a little surprised that um, some of those, like Ron Silverfield and Sonny Dykes, I don't believe that Sonny Dykes contract is accurate. But uh, that's uh, good, good that for Coach Houston. Yeah, that's one thing with SMU, uh, like you're saying, Kyle, that uh, even though they don't draw well, uh, they have plenty of money. And uh, I have a hard yeah. time believing that he was only making $1.34 million. That sounds like a base yeah, salary without anything else. Exactly. And, and, that, yeah. and, and that could very well be the case because um, a lot of times uh, you don't even see um, the numbers for them in Tulane and, uh, you know, the private schools. Private schools, yep. Well, it's going to be uh, – it's great to hear that, though. It sounds like we were in the – like Kyle said, uh, Kyle, the uh, that puts Coach Houston now uh, very competitive salary in America and towards the top, especially when – Houston, UCF, and Cincinnati leave. Yeah. I mean, um, if, if I'm not mistaken, you know, I'm sure people are going to get raises this year. And I forget what the UTSA coaches made. He's making a lot of money. I forget what they're paying him. It was either two or three million uh, with his new contract. But uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, over the teams that are going to be left, I believe that puts him and Coach Niamatololo as the, the two highest paid coaches in the American. I think there's a reason why they got to that number. I think that's that. I think you're spot on, Kyle. I think that's exactly what Houston. I think, in other words, that's what keeps Houston here for at least a, another year or two is that money. And then, like I said, the win totals um, are not what he wants. And he talked about that. He said that today. If that was the best that he could do with this program, then he would have taken another job. And Kyle, the numbers for Jeff Trailer, the UTSA coach, uh, you know, who led that program to a top 25 ranking, even though they did get uh, beat pretty soundly by North Texas here recently. Um, they're 11 and one, playing for a conference championship, and um, he's done a heck of a job. That goes without saying. But Jeff Trailer signed a deal, 10 years, uh, or at least an extension onto whatever he currently had. But he's under contract there at UTSA through 2031. Um, twenty-eight million, so two point eight million per. Okay, so he'll be the highest-paid coach. So yeah, uh, he, he, his deal is you know half a half a meal more than uh, what Coach Houston is now. Yeah, and with incentives. And Bubba McCall um, helped me out. I think with incentives, wouldn't that put us up? Um, coach Houston could make another even half million, um, even without the college football playoff stuff. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, we mentioned some of those earlier. Uh, I, I haven't gone through and totaled it up the, the most he can make. I think I want to say it came out to about three and a half million, but 3.5, 3.6, somewhere in there. If I'm not mistaken, I think I saw uh, maybe Steve and I go host the colors if someone had provided that. But uh, um, just to break down once again, very quickly, 1.4 million is base salary, and that was a $900,000 jump from 500 to 1.4. Uh, 900,000 for radio, TV, pirate club obligations. Um, you know, the pirate club armada circuit uh, that we will hopefully have in the spring of 2022. Um, you had the retention oh, bonus. No it, it was an excellent uh, day to day for coach Houston. In addition to his long-term deal, uh, you had $125,000 retention yes. bonus um, that uh, today was that, Magical date of uh, December 2nd, 2021. Uh, so um, I'm sure uh, it was a nice night all around at the Houston household. But uh, steak, shrimp, peanut butter pie, maybe a little something. Yes, else. yeah, definitely. Uh, plenty, <laughs> plenty of uh, plenty of funds to go around. Not that there weren't already, but even That's more so. Steak, steak, shrimp, and peanut butter pie for everybody. Yeah, I'm for a loan. Yeah. <laughs> hey coach can i have 20 bucks um yeah i i'm very happy for him and you know guys uh one of the questions that you know we were talking about today but i was happy to hear uh we've been hearing in january that there would be an announcement as far as the indoor practice facility um i judging by what um john gilbert said today i'm not quite so sure i think what it's going to take for him is to see the amount of interest that people are going to put up. In other words, what I mean by that is he said he was going to talk to the donors. Pirate Nation, do you want that indoor practice facility? Then uh, call. Pay off Town Bank Tower. What's that? Then pay off Town Bank Tower. Yeah, all the millionaires and billionaires we have in our fan base, uh, call right now and tell them that you want to pay off Town Bank Tower. and We'll name it after you. We love you, Town Bank Tower, but um, we can – uh, work that out. Yeah, Just right. give 252-737-4540 or ecpirateclub.com is on our screen right now for I'm doing that for our listeners. But seriously, guys, that's what it comes down to is um, they're going to be announcing some kind of capital campaign. Um, I'm hoping they'll be ambitious and say, okay, Pirate Nation, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're the plan we have moving forward. And they said they were going to make an announcement uh, we were hearing rumors of our sources in January after a bowl win or a bowl game. So we're in our bowl game now. It's December, and good chances uh, – we have a good chance to yeah. win the bowl eight, game. Eight, win, eight wins if we win our bowl. Going into the non-conference – well, the just the home schedule we have next year yeah. with season ticket sales should be going up. It, 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 biggest thing we need to do, in, in my personal opinion <sighs> – Tom McTire needs to be paid off. We need an indoor practice facility. But to me, it's kind of cart putting the cart before the horse. We need to get power club numbers up. If, if you get power club numbers up, it, it make it makes all that a lot easier. It makes paying off Tom McTower, it makes getting an indoor practice facility a lot easier. And that's something that we need to do a better job at is, is getting pirate club numbers up. And you know, I have my own little idea of, of something that would be appealing, but you know, I don't just we need to be aggressive, and it's something I said before, and I said it back in August, and I'll say it again. You know, we, we East Carolina and the Pirate Club needs to be in the tank tickling business, 
And you know, we, we do stupid things with the pirate club, <laughs> like like tell like tell people that they can't have their parking spot because uh, because they allocated their money to baseball instead of the general scholarship fund. When the fact is, that just means that freed up more money from somewhere else not to put in baseball to give to football and general scholarship. So you know, you just you just you know you just make you spread the money around differently. So you know you. you People need to. We need to appreciate the donors we have. Do things for them, and 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 get more donors. And like I said, uh, Pirate Club's in no position right now to to be telling donors, well, you can't have your parking spot. And we all know who that was. And I'm going to keep harping on it. And um, it wasn't me, but we grow Pirate Club, and that's the biggest thing right now. And thank, thankfully, to to some of the 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 um. The more wealthy Pirate Club members, I'm sure, had a lot to do with uh, getting Coach Houston this this uh, new contract. So I appreciate that um, to to the ones that contributed, and I appreciate the Board of Trustees. That, you know, how about um, you know, the Board of Trustees getting this approved and signing it? We we had we had a previous Board of Trustees that said all we could afford was a Pinto. Uh, you know, we we, we couldn't get Cadillac for head coach. By the way, shameless plug, but Bubba, next week, next week. Programming note, we have one of the fans of the Sports Objective who, oh, by the way, is the chair of the board of the Board of Trustees, and that is Scott Shook. He's coming on a program again, and I want to thank him because not only has he become a fan of the show, but he's actually one that's been very transparent, and you can tell that he really cares about Pirate Nation. So not because he's a fan of the show, but I, I appreciate the fact that he'll come on, and he's going to be with us as the next Tuesday, Bubba. I'm speaking out of turn, but I know it's going to be definitely next week. I believe it's Tuesday, but um, we'll definitely have that, and we appreciate him coming on, so uh, we'll find out more. Is that right, Thursday, Bubba? Next, Thursday night, 8 p.m. Next Thursday. I'm sorry. I knew it was t- I couldn't remember it was Tuesday or Thursday. So next Thursday night, so a week from now, we'll have Scott Shook right here on this program. We'll have a lot of questions. I'll tell you what. I know for a fact that he wants an indoor practice facility. We need to go ahead and clear it. Put it out there, folks. Uh, there's nothing to hide. There's no secrets. Everybody knows that we need one. And you know what? If it takes a million years to raise 20, 25 million, whatever it takes, so be it. But if you don't put it out there, it's like an idea. If you don't put it out there, um, it's not going to happen. So we need to go ahead and put it out there, make an announcement, especially think about this, guys. There's the euphoria of a bowl game. And then, oh, my goodness, if we beat an ACC opponent at the first bowl since 2014, now is the time to make the announcement. Put it out there. Let's have a huge – I mean, we love to party, right? We're pirates. We'll have a big party that we're going to make an announcement, uh, get the the band there, the whole nine yards, and um, and have an announcement. We're going to break ground at 23 or 22, whenever. Uh, but let's go ahead and have that – let's go, go ahead and – if you can pay a coach $2.3 we certainly can afford an indoor practice facility, especially since the previous job he had already had one. So let's go ahead and get that done. And Dave, I'm talking about the future. And Brandon Forbush had a question here on YouTube. I'm talking about our conference opponents for next season. They should stay the same. Um, same. They should they should be the same as they were this season, Brandon. And then as far as the non-conference right. schedule, even though you didn't mention that, and next year the Pirates will be playing seven home games. Obviously, season opener against NC State. Also have Old Dominion and Campbell. Uh, so those will be the first three games of the season: NC State, Old Dominion, and Campbell. And then you also have a non-conference game at BYU. Obviously, NC State and BYU have been in the um, 
the top 25 this season and BYU, you know, up there in the top 10, top 15. And Old Dominion was a bowl team, or is a bowl team this yes. year. Yes, uh, Old, and, Old uh, Dominion, I guess, what, six and six? Correct, and played really well the second half of the year. And, and they were uh, coached by who, Kyle? Uh, his name is, uh, his name is uh, Ricky Ronnie. Ricky, Ricky Ronnie. Ronnie, baby, Ricky Ronnie. <laughs> Ricky Ronnie. I mean, he should be a NASCAR driver or a territory wrestler. Um, I, for his uh, conference schedule next year, should stay the same as this year. Uh, next year's home conference games. Off the top of my head, should be Navy, UCF, Houston, Memphis. Uh, that's it? Is it it? That's that, it. Is, is it? That's yep, it. That, that should be our home conference games next year. Oh that's my a God, really that's good home schedule. Yeah. Um, that's one of the best, like you said, Cal, off the air uh, before we start. That's one of the best conference schedules we've had. Uh, excuse me. One, one of the one best of the conference home schedules we've had in a long Yeah, time. the home schedule is, is excellent. NC State, Old Dominion. Uh, even Campbell will have regional interest, and then the conference schedule at home is really good next year. So, should and be a BYU the schedule. Yeah, I didn't even realize we were playing BYU yeah. next year. Um, so uh, got BYU back on the schedule with uh, with the Cougs as uh, strong as they've been here recently. Uh, be nice to go out to Provo and get a win over a Big Twelve team. That's yeah, you think about that huge. home schedule with with NC State, UCF. Um, you know, Navy, Memphis, Houston, man, uh, that should be – we should definitely uh, sell 15,000 plus oh. season tickets because I know By that's the, the goal. This year it was 13,500. Yeah. Uh, we better blow 15 out of the water. We better get yeah. at least 16, 17 or something. And, and don't discount Old Dominion and Campbell because Old Dominion – No, 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 I'm not. I'm just... bowl, yeah, coming off of a bowl, they're going to bring some fans down. And Campbell will, will sell some tickets too to the, to their fans, and so uh, no, I think I think um, you know, I, Bubba, I think you know, I, I agree with you in theory. Seventeen, eighteen thousand would be great. You know, unfortunately, I just don't think we live in that world anymore. Unless your name's Alabama, and even then, makes some tickets like they used to be. Well, uh, but if we can get to sixteen thousand season tickets next year, I think that's a very realistic goal and uh, something we should achieve. Well, let's, let me and let me say so I agree with you, Kyle, on that one hundred percent what you said, um, because we're not we should not be delusional about that. But at the same time, shouldn't we be setting the bar high? I mean, not I'm not saying the likes of when we had with Skip Holtz and early Ruff McNeil twenty four. What was the watermark, guys? Twenty four thousand. Yeah, I'm not 20, saying, 23 and a half. Yeah, pushing. I'm not saying anything. Yeah, I'm not saying anything like that. But I mean, to me, I I would be if it were me, I'd be saying eighteen thousand because. Well, it's I mean, like you, you can say whatever you want. I mean, you, you market it, you market the hell out of it. And, I mean, to me, it's all about marketing, getting it out there and letting people know the home schedule we have. And um, another thing I would not do, and I'm going to caution, I'm going to caution, um, I'm going to caution ECU on this because I think that the temptation is going to be there with seven home games and NC State on the schedule. I wouldn't go up on season ticket prices very much. I knew you were going to say that. God knows I'd be with, with with inflation like it is right now, the economy like it is right now, um, and you want to move more season tickets, uh, keep keep them. I mean, I think you have to go up on them a little bit, but I wouldn't go up on them too much. No, I wouldn't I go up them, on them. I keep them in the same price range. Um, also, I would offer the uh, the discount tickets in the upper deck still. Uh, don't need, that's yeah, no, you're. You're 100% correct. This is like the Walmart philosophy. 
let's keep the price as low as you can because in volume uh, we'll make a lot more money versus, uh, you know, for example, like you said, those hundred, I mean, it's embarrassing when you see the upper deck and it's like, you can count the people you look up there. It's like one, two, three, four. I mean, come on, let's, uh, let's well, see. It's know, and I think a better job marketing that this year that you could get tickets for a hundred dollars. And yeah. I, uh, I really don't know why we didn't sell more of them. I remember, I remember a guy commenting uh, back during the summer that he wasn't an East Carolina fan, but if, if, if we had tickets for around a hundred dollars, he's a college football fan. He'd go to watch us play just, you know, other teams like Cincinnati, yeah, South Carolina. Yeah, and, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he's, if he bought any season tickets or not, if he was just lip service, but, uh, you well, know, that's something the, we need to go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I was just going to add to that, Kyle, the very fact, the first game, and remember the South Carolina game where we had, yeah. uh, Bill Clark, uh, one of the greatest pirates, you know, talking about a great donor, Buying all those tickets and they and, I what, mean, and they, what a job he's doing at UAB. <laughs> a different Bill Clark, but by the uh, way, why the hell doesn't his name come up for any jobs? I, I There's the one of the thing. great mysteries in the history of the world. Why does Bill Clark's name UAB head coach Bill Clark, not 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 Bill Clark Holmes? Why does his name not come up for any jobs? He he, he has done a tremendous job at UAB. He's one on a consistent basis. Always has them in the top half of conference USA, um, but never you never see his name come up for any jobs. I don't know. Like two or three years ago, it seemed like he was coming up for you know several jobs a year, and then post well not post COVID, but during COVID, I guess we still are. Um, I haven't heard his name come up in the last last year. This year has it? Not that I can remember, but. Um, anyway, we, uh, we're well over an hour and a half now. Um, I know Bubba, we've got a lot of uh, things, by the way, if you're wondering about the, uh, as far as the conference, uh, just conference, the contract extension press conference, we have that up on YouTube, right? Bubba, we were going to play that tonight, but we've run way long, uh, but we have that up on our YouTube channel, right? Yeah, definitely check that out. Um, just go to YouTube, search the sports objective channel and, uh, you'll, You'll be able to find that as well as a lot of other excellent content. Um, yesterday, Dave and I had a conversation uh, talking college basketball with Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News and the Big Ten Network. And uh, here in the coming days, we'll have a conversation, uh, hopefully, on Friday afternoon with John Laser. He is the play-by-play -play voice of the Virginia Tech Hokies. So we'll uh, talk about the Hokies hire of uh, Brent Pry, the Penn State defensive coordinator who had some Virginia Tech ties to uh, legendary D.C. Bud Foster under Frank Beamer back in the mid-90s. Uh, so we'll get his thoughts on that. Uh, that's the reason we were not able to bring you that today is because so much video is being shot for uh, the Hokies website and so forth. Um, but we'll have that in addition to um, also hopefully um, having our initial TSO locker room for basketball with – East Carolina's Brandon Suggs. And Sunday, no uh, guys, are we going to do a bowl, a uh, bowl selection show uh, when we find out our opponent? We'll have that as well as overtime for the um, Gardner-Webb basketball game. No, both right. on Sunday. So it's uh, at Gardner-Webb. By the way, folks, uh, go and get your tickets. Uh, that's going to be a great game, guys, as Gardner-Webb a couple years ago making the tournament and uh, doing very well. In fact, uh, that's going to be a great game. I can't wait for that. Uh, that'll be. I'll be there Saturday at three p.m. Logo and of all bulldog logos, 
Uh, the bulldog looks like I don't know what he's doing. He just he looks like he's laying down. He's running, man. The, it's the Gardner Gardner Webb <laughs> running bulldogs. I, I guess that's what a bulldog looks like when he runs. I, I don't know. I, he looks like he's doing an army crawl. I don't know what the hell that bulldog's problem is. It's it's Kyle doing a bear crawl. <laughs> it's, it's, bear it's, crawl. I, More like a pencil. I think roll. He, I think he, I think he's thinking of me. I think he's thinking of me eating a bear crawl. A pencil roll. How about that? I, I, would, I would much rather, I'd do much better eating a bear claw than I would doing a pencil roll. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, do you guys have anything before we go? Speaking of ordering tickets, Dave, uh, make sure you oh yeah get, get your tickets for the Military Bowl, December 27th, 2.30, Navy Marine Corps Stadium. Um, we sold over 1,000 in the first 24 to 36 hours. We'll try to get you an updated number on that. Um, but um, I know um, the, the last bowl, uh, I, I do not know that number in 2014, uh, you know, January 2nd or whatever of 2015 down in Birmingham. But uh, the previous year, I heard the, the number we had sold through East Carolina for the Beef O'Brady's Bowl in 2013 against Ohio was between eight and eight and a half thousand. Wow. So, uh, so it shows I, you where the I'm, program's gone since then. And, that was, I think, our seventh bowl in eight years. So, um, you know, for some folks, yes, that's a great destination, but we've been going year after year. So now, after not having gone in seven years and so starved for success, Pirate Nation, it's time to you know, kind of put up or shut up and find a way to get to Annapolis, Maryland, if at all possible. And hopefully we can uh, – I know people will buy tickets to other sources as well, but definitely I'm um, buying through ECU if at all possible. We'll get that financial kickback, I think, up to a quarter of a million dollars. No doubt about it. We get all the money uh, for that, right, Bubba, all the ticket sales? we get, we get Up, up to 250000 I know we'd already eclipsed 100000 in ticket sales as far as $100,000. And um, – Two hundred up to two hundred and fifty thousand. Beyond two hundred and fifty thousand, if I heard John Gilbert correctly, it goes to the bowl game. So, what do you yeah. do? I have not purchased my tickets yet. I have my hotel reserved. I know at the Military Bowl website, you can just go pick where you want to sit in the exact seat of the tickets that they have available. Uh, with with with, uh, with ECU, do you just request the area you want to sit in, and then based on priority points, you get that but seat? The Pirate Club priority, I believe that deadline, I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it is December okay. the 11th. So you have just Hello. over a week and eight or nine more days uh, to meet yeah. that deadline to get your request in. And then, uh, yes, based on priority, um, you'll see where you are able to land tickets. Yeah, see, and, that, and that's where the problem lies because, uh, you know, I, I know someone right now who bought them at club level. They just went in and bought club level seats. I mean, so, you know, for 250 bucks a pop because they could go ahead and do that uh, through other places. And I think that's, that's kind of, I don't know, that needs to be adjusted a little bit. I understand priority points and all that mess, but I think it would be a lot better to go to a system where you first come, first serve. As long as you're a pilot club member, you get to choose your seats and, and go from there. I think, I think that would keep people from going to other places to buy their tickets. Definitely couldn't hurt, right? <laughs> for sure. Uh, no doubt about it. We're, we're very excited. We're going to have a lot of coverage. And, guys, I uh, was thinking about this earlier today with the, at the contract extension press conference. Nice to be talking about football, and we're still talking about the current year with one more game to go. 
playing football on December. I want to give a shout out to our good friend and contributor of the show, Terry Gallagher. And I were talking this afternoon and um, really he's so tickled and I'm so happy for him and many, many other former players that uh, saw the program, you know, like go to the worst place I think it's ever been, in my opinion, in the history of the sport going all the way back to 1932 uh, to the present time where we have a bowl and we have a chance to still win eight games. It's really awesome. Dave, are we going to have the pleasure of uh, seeing Terry up in Annapolis? He has some family issues right now. Um, not him personally. If it was just him personally, he would sure be there, and I'm not going to discuss that. It's not a bad thing, um, but uh, he is a caregiver, and um, so he and his wife are. So um, that situation, it, that'll be like more like a, I hate to say, a cliche of a game-time decision, but that'll be more of a situation like that. So. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Hopefully he can, and, and I'm in the same boat. Some of us in Pirate Nation can't get the day off, so it's been a Monday. I wish I could get the day off. I'm hoping that I – I mean, here I am on a show that we cover the Pirates, and um, I'm having trouble with that. So hopefully – Hey, let, let Dave off. If any of the bosses are uh, watching, let Dave off or else. Yes. <laughs> and Kyle's going to come knocking on your door. Hey, let Dave um, off. Yeah. Hey, Bubba, if if I go and I got my hotel, I ain't got my tickets yet. Now, if I go, are are you going to buy me crab cakes and filet mignon? We'll definitely figure something out. McDonald's. It looks like the drive-through dollar menu for you, Kyle. Yeah, uh, sounds good. <laughs> All right, guys. We should know, by the way, uh, fans, of those that don't know, we should know something definitely by Sunday who we're playing. We'll have the bowl show. We're going to have uh, the overtime. As we talked about, we got a lot of great shows in between. And don't forget, next week, next Thursday night, right here, we're going to have the chair of the EC Board of Trustees, our fan of the show, friend of the show, Scott Shook will be with us. Can't wait for that and much more. Uh, guys, you ready to uh, put this podcast to bed? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's time for it to go night night. All right, well, uh, good night, Kyle. I would say good night, John Boy. You and I both love the Waltons. Hey, did you watch the new Waltons Homecoming special uh, on uh, the CW Sunday night? I did not. I missed it. Uh, it's horrible. I mean, okay. I wouldn't say horrible, but uh, when you compare it to the original Waltons cast, it was very disappointing. That's one of my favorite shows as a kid growing up. I love that show, like uh, Little House in the Prairie is another one. Uh, Bubba, you uh. You have anything before we go? Nope. All right. I love uh, a man of many words, Bubba Rosenbaum. All right. I want to thank DG, uh, David Glenn, formerly of the David Glenn Show. And he's uh, done, of course, a great job with accsports.com and uh, certainly contributed from time to time with Athletic. We appreciate him dropping by. Thanks to all the viewers, listeners, and we appreciate you. We'll see you again tomorrow right here on the Sports Objective. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates.